Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 38 of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. Well, today's a big day, the kickoff for season four, and we're also celebrating thousands of Melissa Rx Scripts episode downloads. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for our lively conversations, prescriptions, and advice for life. I hope that these special Melissa Rx Scripts podcast stories have inspired you and helped to widen the path for leadership, exploring opportunities, pursuing your passion, and helping others. Well, now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Jan Skelton. Jan and I are going to be discussing many things, including her experiences navigating some of life's toughest challenges. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Jan, and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Jan Skelton is a proud pharmacy graduate of West Virginia University and currently is president of Silver Pennies Consulting with 25 plus years of demonstrated success in business strategy, communications, and complex program implementation in the healthcare industry. She also is a highly skilled facilitator and her work has advanced many pharmacy and healthcare initiatives. I've been part of some of those. She was inducted in the West Virginia University School of Pharmacy Hall of Fame in 2014 and was named a 2020 American Pharmacists Association APHA Fellow. Well, Jan, thanks so much for being here with me today. And as we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family and your pharmacy experience at West Virginia University. I'd love to, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. As uh, I know you know, I come from a pharmacy family. Uh, My dad is uh, an independent pharmacist who recently retired and sold his store. Um, But I have been uh, part of pharmacy as a career since I was itty bitty, uh, as sort of tracking my father and and watching what he did and how he cared for his patients in rural West Virginia. It gave me a really good glimpse into the value of that um, health professional in areas where sometimes there there are not other options for physicians or even hospitals in many cases. Um, I was honored to be a WVU School of Pharmacy graduate. I was really fortunate to be mentored by individuals who were from West Virginia, but ultimately went on and were were huge leaders in our profession in their own right. Um, Steve Crawford, Sandra Justice, Tom Menigan, Bruce Roberts. So just really having that sort of set as normalcy to be engaged and involved in professional organizations and the pharmacy profession as a whole, I think was, was really important. And it gave me a real appreciation for what pharmacists can do in communities uh, and and the value of those services in that role. Um, You know, I have uh, the the dad that got up in the middle of the night to take Tylenol to a new mother uh, because everything was closed and there wasn't a lot of other options. So I've sort of seen that in action and I understand how important that is. And I still think that pharmacists in in so many places still play that role. And that's uh, why I'm grateful to be part of this profession. Well, you know, we met 
many years ago in Washington, D.C. I think we met there and then at a meeting, but I was doing the APHA Executive Residency and Association Management, now the executive called the Executive Fellowship. And um, you ended up doing that a year or two later. But what's so amazing, I think, is those meetings, especially at a meeting that can go quickly where you're like, well, we stay in touch, that we've stayed in touch and have been friends, really lifelong friends and colleagues for many, many years. And I really appreciate you talking about West Virginia Pharmacy, um, the legacy of leadership is so important. And we've seen that for years, and especially this past year through the pandemic with the West Virginia pharmacists really leading the way and getting immunizations out there and figuring out a system and navigating through it. And I'll also say, since I've traveled there with you, I think West Virginia is one of the most beautiful states in our country. You know, just the um, the mountains and the beauty uh, and the hardworking people. And I so enjoyed spending time where you grew up and, you know, see, learning from your dad and all of that. So that that's just a really, really cool thing. Well, you know, during these turbulent times, we often talk about looking to the past or history, and that often provides us with insights for hope in the present and the future. So is there a historical figure in pharmacy or healthcare that's made a difference in your life? Sure, I'm, I'm just not sure he'll be thrilled to be called a historical figure, but um, I'll, I'll have to say that, that John Gans is, is someone who really um, honestly gave me an opportunity to do something that I really hoped and wanted to do, but um, I'm not sure at the time I felt comfortable or confident enough that I could see myself in an association management role. And ultimately, he is who selected me for uh, the executive residency, which is a similar position to obviously what you held. And I, I love to tell this story because it goes back to my West Virginia roots, why I was selected for this residency. And there were two of us who were in the final positions uh, after all of the interviews. And he picked up the phone, uh, John did, and called some of those leaders in West Virginia. And because I had been actively involved in the state association, uh, because I had been in the APHA ASP leadership at the School of Pharmacy, I was able to eke it out, I think is the fairest way to say, because those individuals who were so well known and so well respected were able to speak on my behalf about my capabilities. And so I sort of left, uh, left the country for the big city and came to Washington. And I, I just think, you know, John's perspective on things is that there's no limits. He let all of us, uh, you were there too, all of us blossom as, as young professionals. Um, he had a tremendous amount of respect for young women pharmacists, and he never um, sort of put limits on us in any way. And, and I think that his philosophy of just, you know, figure out a way to do it and get the right thing done has just stuck with me throughout my whole career. And so it really opened up an entirely different life for me. Uh, my, my goal was to do that executive residency and go back and take over my dad's independent pharmacy. I and mean, that was my original intent. And so then I've now spent you know several decades in, in association work and, and consulting work because I got that opportunity and, and it sort of set me on a different path. So I, I would definitely say John is my, is my guiding light in the profession. Well, Jan, I just love, love, love that you selected and are talking about John Gans. And I'm also smiling because he's a historical figure who's still with us, which is awesome. And I think he's going to get a kick out of being described as a historical figure. But you and I both know that he is one who is, who, who is and will be in the history books for his significant contributions in pharmacy. So a past president of ASHP, the CEO of APHA for 20 plus years so innovative in practice, but I think, you know, the part that you really 
talked about that has impacted so many of us uh, is his vision and his support for developing leaders and you know giving people a runway and then saying go out there do it and so i i'm really happy that you talked about john his impact and his legacy and you and i had talked a little while ago that we were both so thrilled that the APHA earlier this year named the annex, kind of the larger part of the building on 2215 Constitution Avenue that's closest to the State Department after him. It's now the John A. Gans Annex. So, you know, that's something for our listeners, our uh, podcast community to check out when they're back in D.C. and, you know, as travel starting to go again. And boy, that's a good one. And there are so many stories that we could share about his influence, his impact and all that good stuff. So thank you. Well, you know, as we talk about the pandemic and we're navigating our way out of it and and, um, easing through that, it's really been a challenging time for many, many people, you know, kind of a year of doing hard things. But in 2021, you know, things are looking up, things are opening up, vaccines are here, people are able to travel again, we're having some in-person meetings, which is great. But I know that your family's had some experience with hard things. And, you know, one of those that was so significant was um, losing David to pancreatic cancer, your husband. And, you know, he, I knew him personally very well, and he was an amazing husband, father, friend, pharmacist. So tell me a little bit more about David and maybe share a favorite memory. And I know there's so many. Oh, so many, so many. I, I think I always love to tell the story of, it's actually John Gans's fault that we met. Um, and he'll, he'll even tell this story sometimes that uh, I was working at APHA uh, in student affairs. And there was at the time a new pharmacy school um, out in Winchester, Virginia called Shenandoah University. And at the time, again, it was literally being built from the ground up, very innovative in the way they were approaching their curriculum, very focused on um, sort of technology and how technology could be applied to learning. So John was supposed to go to the dedication ceremony for Shenandoah University and uh, had a, a last minute conflict and couldn't attend and, uh, and sent me in his stead. And that is when I had the chance to meet Dr. David Skelton, who was the Dean of Students uh, for Shenandoah University uh, for the first time. And so John will always laugh and say that it's his fault that I, <laughs> I fell in love and we got married and, and had children. And um, you know, he, if he would have thought through it a little bit more, maybe he wouldn't have allowed me to go so that I wouldn't have eventually left APHA. So I always felt a lot of, of gratitude for him sort of saying that. But David was a very uh, engaged pharmacist. He was the first in his family to go to college. Eventually uh, was able to get his, um, he was a medical technologist and then completed his pharmacy degree. And again, we had a lot of similarities in in sort of understanding the, the small town nature of how pharmacy practice can impact. He saw that in his upbringing in, in Arkansas. And so we sort of became fast friends for a variety of reasons. We were of similar age um, and we were both very young in our careers at the time, oftentimes surrounded by people who were more seasoned and more tenured. And so we had an opportunity to really get to know each other in that space. And after a couple of years, uh, Missy knows this story, I, I was asked on my first date and I actually had to go ask permission if, to see if it was a conflict of interest. <laughs> Um, but we had our first date and that was sort of um, that was sort of all she wrote and we were together ever since and we're, we're very happily married. I've as far as your, your your point about doing hard things, I think my takeaway from everything that we have dealt with as a family and when you lose someone who's important in, for any reason it's it's always difficult. 
And I think our challenge, and we, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to discuss it, how do we lead our children? I, I think it's, you know, we really talked through what we knew was going to be a difficult and, and likely fatal outcome. But how do we lead our children through this? Because we all lose people um, in our lives and, and we all face tremendous disappointments, whatever those might be. And I sort of laughingly joke, my kids, you know, say we're a little bit morbid sometimes, but none of us get out of here unscathed. And whatever it is that, you know, impacts us may be different than what impacts someone else. But, you know, those hurts and those challenges and those disappointments happen to everyone. And so how do you sort of work through that and do the best you can to get to the other side in one piece and and to learn what you can learn. And, and we took a position that, you know, one of the best ways to honor him is to engage um, around the disease state that, that cost him his life and try and make it better for other families. And, and I've seen that happen. He was diagnosed in 2012 when at the time the survival rate was 5%. And today, the survival rate is 10%. And so in, in, in those few short years, you know, there are real families that live in that 5%. And so every time we're successful and treatment is better, and we bump that number even by 1%, those are real families. And, and I try never to lose sight of that. Well, Jan, I, I want to say thank you for sharing about David. And he was such a special person and so important to so many of us. And I think you perfectly described his kind of passion and his joy, and I can still hear his laughter and, you know, how, how much he loved you and your kids and the family and home that he built. And I, you know, I, I think you've just shared so many golden nuggets just now talking about his life and his legacy, because there will be hard things. And I reflect on where he came from and how hard he worked to get to where he was. And he, you know, that, that work ethic, but also you can move forward and you can navigate through tough things was such a, a beautiful thing for his work in Shenandoah. And then he also, you know, this might sound like a little thing and I, I'm just going to share this because I think of him often when I wipe off the counters at my house, he always wanted to make things better for others around him. And I came up to visit you um, when you guys were in Jersey to see your house. And he wanted to make sure that you and I had time together. So I don't know, do you remember this? So he cleaned the kitchen after, so we could go in the other room and talk and hang out and all that good stuff. And he cleaned that kitchen like nobody's business. Like he just went to town and I just, so often when I clean the kitchen, I, I, I think about him, but there were just so many things that he did in his legacy and the, and the kids. And then what, what you've been able to do through your efforts with PanCan and, and pancreatic cancer and, you know, bringing us all people that loved him to keep his, his memory alive, but also to change things for others in the future. And that is significant progress at 5% change. So thank you for sharing that. So, you know, we touched on that a little bit about the impact and how things have gotten better in the years since all this happened with David, but Tell me a little bit more about David's Daredevils. You did something different this year where, well, the first time I think the walk itself was virtual. So can we talk a little bit about that and then how much money you've raised over the years? Sure. So it goes back to, again, my pharmacy family. I had 
done a, a cancer walk for almost 10 years with a, a good dear friend, Angela Cassano, who is uh, a breast cancer survivor. And so we had a group of pharmacists from all over the country and we always sort of did those events. And then when David got sick, we were in a similar way trying to figure out, you know, what could we do that could be valuable and could give, you know, us a purpose in, in sort of fighting this disease even early on. And so the, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network is a patient advocacy organization, which is just tremendous, uh, focused on caregivers and patients with pancreatic cancer. And so they have a, a walk or a 5K run, you can do either, um, called Purple Stride. And so for our first, um, our first walk uh, in 2013, you know, we, we sort of just gathered everyone together literally at the last minute, you know, we raised $10,000 overnight and went and did the event. And since that time, um, you know, we've kept that tradition going forward. And now we really use it as, as a great way to remember David. Um, we, his friends and family come in from all over the country on typical years. You know, we have people who send, you know, to this day, we'll send notes and, and cards to my kids and tell them favorite stories about their interactions with David. So it's really um, intended to be this joyful remembrance of him. And at the same time, not losing sight of the fact that ultimately what changes direction in in major diseases is funding yeah. and so in order to get the researchers to do the research and to, to design the studies and all of those things to get the kinds of treatments that are necessary it takes a lot of dollars to do that and so we've been very very focused um, as a family on making sure that we're um, trying to do that at every turn i think since 2013, we've raised over $260,000 um, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. They are one of the top-rated charities in the country uh, on Charity Navigator, and I, I've watched personally just how carefully they steward that money to ensure that it goes toward really making a difference in this disease. We've been able to involve my children in, in lobbying Congress for increased funding for pancreatic cancer research, both through NIH and the Department of Defense. And so my kids have gotten, first of all, to learn really important life lessons about how you advocate for positions that matter to yep. you. And also, you know, that they learned early on that even though they felt like they might be the only children in the whole wide world who had walked this walk that unfortunately they weren't and, and they had the opportunity through this organization to meet other kids and um, other families who were in similar situations and it was one of probably the the most valuable things early on was for them to sort of get that glimpse that you know it's it's not quite as isolating as it feels and that there are others that you can sort of reach out to and lean on. And they've been fortunate to be tapped by the organization to, to do speeches. Um, here locally, we have a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are involved in uh, pancreatic cancer research and treatments. And so my kids are often tapped to sort of tell their story. And it's been healing for them to be able to have that access and to have that outlet to be able to, to sort of talk about what it meant and, and why the and why that advocacy matters to them too. You know, my daughter has actually just gone off to her freshman year and I think her career ultimately will be somewhere in this space. You know, she was accepted to a program that's around citizenship and public engagement because that's what she's done since she was teeny tiny because of the loss of her dad. Yeah. 
Well, I, I appreciate that you shared kind of the beginnings related to David's Daredevils. And a few episodes ago, when I had Wendy Weber on, we talked about Angela's Angels and the work that you all did through the breast cancer walk. And then that model with pancreatic cancer. And I've been really happy and thrilled to honor David over the years with helping with the walk. And this past year, John and Austin and I all rocked purple on that day and, you know, did a walk. We were back in Illinois with my parents. So it was nice. And I think it is a beautiful thing to see Hannah and William talk about pancreatic cancer and the importance of research. And then I know David is so proud of them and of you and how you've kept the fight going on this and, you know, raising that much money is really significant. I'll make sure that I link in the show notes so that people are interested in learning more. Um, but congrats again on being such a top fundraiser and, and an advocate. Um, it's just a really remarkable thing. And he is dearly, dearly missed, but I know he's watching over you and the kids and so, so proud, so proud. So love, love, love. And I, and I realized I didn't really talk about sort of the virtual thing. And, and you know, this was actually our second year of it. Um, we had oh yeah, because last year probably too, right? Yeah. yeah. And actually last the, the previous year, we had like a hot minute. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's why I didn't quite remember. So we, you know, this was really our second year. And, I, and I'll tell you, like, again, like all of us, it was such a profound disappointment because that was some, this is something that we look forward to as a family. And you know, we had people who had, had made plans to come in and obviously like everything else in everyone else's lives, it kind of got scrapped. And I wondered whether we would be able to still pull through people to participate Last year, people were sort of already signed up. So it wasn't so, you know, I, I felt like that would go okay. I was really worried about this year because we didn't have that face-to-face -face opportunity and, you know, people were so tired of, you know, all of these virtual things. And, you know, I guess the lesson, my lesson to myself was don't ever underestimate people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we ended up uh, even trying to do some fun things virtually. Everybody was able to walk in their own communities and, you know, do their own celebrations of David all across the country. So even though we couldn't do um, our, our big party and celebration that we have here, we ended up having a hundred little celebrations all over the country. And people were sending me photos of themselves dressed in purple and going for walks with their kids and their dogs and on the beach. And people were in Hawaii and Alaska, literally all over the country. And we ended up raising more for this virtual event than we have ever raised. And if you would have said that to me, that nine years in, in a, in a virtual world, that we would have been that successful, I would have said it wouldn't have been possible. But it just, it goes to show that, you know, people always are going to support the things that they know make a difference. And don't be afraid to, to make the ask, and even though it may be different. And it, and it absolutely felt out of my comfort zone, especially in this difficult year. Uh, I, I just, I learned a lot about how, you know, people are looking to do good things. And so give them the opportunity to do good things and you'll be surprised. I love that people are looking to do give good things and give them the opportunity to do good things. Well, it was a good thing and it was so fun to be a part of it. And, you know, I look forward to what's next with it and us continuing to keep that spirit alive and, and celebrate and honor um, the fabulous and wonderful David Skelton. Well, you know, in our introduction, we talked about that you're part of a multi-generation pharmacy family. And so you touched on this a little bit, but tell me a little bit more about what's going on in your consulting practice and what do you see as the biggest opportunities and challenges facing pharmacists today? Yeah, great question. So I've had my consulting company, Silver Pennies Consulting since 2004. It was named after a book of poems that my grandmother used to 
to read to us as children. Um, and I found myself that I've created this niche of, of expertise and clients. And it always centers around, you know, how do you translate the value of pharmacists into whether it's a patient voice or trying to help pharmaceutical companies understand what we do and the value that we bring, or how do we help other medical professionals understand our value and, and what we bring. I've had such um, amazing opportunities through this business to, to really work with tremendously gifted um, and intelligent people. And, and I've found it fascinating that, you know, again, everybody's focused on doing the right thing. And um, that has been really a wonderful aspect of the work that I do. And I'm watching now, especially because of the pandemic and, you know, you, you've just watched pharmacists. I don't want to say respond because I think we've always been responding just quietly. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that for the first time, um, there's recognition to what pharmacists have always been doing, uh, regardless of the practice setting. And, you know, I'm a huge lover of community-based practice. I think the value that community pharmacists bring to patients is, is always sort of overlooked. And I think for the first time, those pharmacists who do that day in and day out and take care of patients and deliver medicines and call people um, who need to to look in on someone and reach out to practitioners that you know may not understand there's a there's a complication occurring. You know, that's happening all the time. And I think we've not been recognized and we certainly haven't been paid. And so what I I think the COVID, if there's a little professional silver lining, is that that, that story is pretty clear. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people have been telling it, but I think for the first time it's it's more publicly recognized outside of our own pharmacy family. And I think it's going to open up really different opportunities for pharmacists to be paid, again, for services that they may have already been providing uh, and allow them maybe to go more uh, along the medical model, which is maybe what we always should have been doing. And, and I'm just, I'm excited to see pharmacists be able to more openly and more easily uh, practice the way they were trained to practice. And so that's been exciting to watch. I've been working um, with the American Pharmacists Association on, on a grant that's focused around vaccine confidence. And I have been awestruck by the pharmacists that I've met through this process who have just the creativity and the innovation and the heart yeah. um, to try and, and end this pandemic. And, and pharmacists know that we're the key and they've stepped up since day one. And, and I think they'll, they'll be continuing to step up because, you know, as, as many people around the country sort of think that this is over and they're going back to their normal lives, for those of us in healthcare, I think it's just the beginning because, you know, this is not going to go away per se. Right. We're going to have boosters in the fall and possibly annual shots and, and the workforce that's prepared to sort of do all of that um, are our community-based pharmacists. So I'm, I'm, I'm shouting out to them. I've just been awestruck by by their professionalism and, and by what they've done to literally save lives in this country um, since March of last year. Well, I, I just love your reflections on that. You know, the silver linings, I think I, I recently had Mary Alice Bennett on and we talked quite a bit about community-based pharmacy practitioners and their important role and innovation. And, you know, I don't think any of us can shout loud enough how pharmacists stepped up and continue to step up and will step up in the future because I agree with you that this is just the beginning and that, you know, we're transitioning, things are changing, but it's not 
stopping by any means and, and that their role and function will continue to be so, so important. So, you know, I, that, that was really helpful to hear you share that. Well, on a lighter and more like fun note, one of the things that we did have people experience in the past year plus was that their workouts changed and that they kind of shifted their workouts from home to home from, you know, maybe out in a, a studio or community or whatever. And I know that, that happened to me. My sense is from talking with you and when I visited um, your house, I saw that you've been a Peloton rider at home for years. So tell me more about that. And did you get lots of good rides in during the during these times? So this is a fun topic. I think the the short answer is yes. Um, and thank goodness I already had it. Yes, right. You would have, it would have been hard to get it. Yeah, I would have not been able to get it. But I, um, you know, my my actual workout of choice is hot yoga, which is sort of my both my physical and my mental zen. So when that went away, um, it was really hard <laughs> to not have that really important outlet for me to just sort of. Um, spend that 75 minutes a couple times a week, you know, think, you know, just quietly doing things that make my body feel better and my brain feel better. And so here we were all stuck in the house, you know, the kids and I, and um, early on, um, there, there wasn't a lot of going out of the house, uh, if at all, for a long, long time. So I was very, very grateful that I had the Peloton. And I laugh, I had ridden it some before the, um, before the pandemic, maybe once a week, but I wasn't really devoted to it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I will tell you that uh, I, I am very devoted to it now. It, it has been really a, a lifesaver as far as, again, just allowing you the opportunity to move and, um, and this funny sense of community. And, and you and I were talking about this story. So when you're on Peloton, um, you have a, a screen name and mine just happens to be JanRx. So if you're looking at me and you don't know me, it's pretty clear that I'm a pharmacist. And um, again, I've been riding for a number of years and I haven't really ever felt like that particular screen name evoked anything in the rides. You can get high fives and things from, from other participants. And what I noticed immediately after the pandemic started is that I was now getting high fived by other screen names that were nurses and physicians. And um, you can have tags. So one of my tags is Peloton pharmacist, but there's also Peloton physicians and Peloton nurses. And so I have felt this really fun sense of healthcare community on this bike um, because we all kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Everybody knows that you know, everybody who are in those roles are, are, you know, probably struggling and working really hard and trying to save people all day long, every day. And here's this moment where they, they have an opportunity to take a few moments for themselves. And so there's just this really fun sense of community and high fives and, and support around it. And there's actually a group, um, if anybody is a Peloton rider on Facebook, that's called Peloton Pharmacist. Um, there are a lot of pharmacists across the country who have Peloton. So it's always fun to sort of track each other um, and, and sort of be in community with people who uh, have like minds and similar interests. I don't know that I would have understood it quite in the same way if I hadn't had it pre-pandemic, but um, I, was, I was grateful to have that bike in this house before there was nothing to buy. That's really, really good. Do you ever do any of the other classes like the yoga or bar or walking or whatever? So I've done, I definitely do the walking and I do the meditation yeah. um, while uh, my children, uh, you know, when, you know, my children do all kinds of crazy things on there, but um, I, I tend to stick with the meditation and the, the walking and, and the biking. 
Oh, that's cool. And that's, I'm going to have to check out that Facebook group. I've done a little bit on the app. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily into the bike kind of thing, but um, maybe I should consider it, give it a try. Well, I, I wasn't until I was. Okay. Well, you know, that it's, it's interesting. And, and we have stayed at certain places, actually our first um, get, you know, be able to go somewhere. We went to Chicago a few weeks ago and the place where we were staying had a Peloton and I brought my stuff. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And I didn't do it, but we know that there was so much other stuff because we were gathering with family and doing other things. So I will do it in the future. Well, you know, you and I could talk, we could just keep going. Um, but our time together is coming to a close. And one of the things that I do on each of the Melissa Rx scripts podcast is I ask this question, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? I think Robert Frost's quote that says the only way out is through couldn't be more right on target for how I've learned um, that you have to focus in your life and you know, things happen and you don't get the, uh, there's really no latitude for curling up in a ball under the kitchen table. Um, you kind of have to pick yourself up and you have to keep moving and believe it or not, the sun does come up tomorrow. Sometimes you wish it didn't, but it does. And so keep moving. Um, and eventually, uh, regardless of the challenge or the disappointment or whatever it might be, it lessens over time. And, and just, it, it only lessens if you keep moving, um, being stagnant to it's not really a viable option. So that's what I would share. Wow. Keep moving. And the only way out is through. So, so important, I think, for these times and really every day to just be mindful of that and um, keep going. So, well, Jan, thank you so much. I have this big smile on my face. It was so great for us to connect. Um, this is the Melissa Archivist podcast. And I want to thank our listeners and encourage you to follow along, subscribe, and and leave a review, all that good stuff. And I also want to say a special thank you to Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solutions, who helps make the magic happen. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Melissa. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here.